Let us turn now for our reading of God's holy word to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to read the first 13 verses of this chapter. If we remember from our previous sermon or sermons in this series in the book of Nehemiah, previously we were dealing with problems outside of the city of God, enemies outside wishing to do The work harm. I want us to think. Imagine that there were no enemies outside of the city of God. And imagine it was just us doing the work, but there was no one outside in that sense. Would we would be be completely without trouble? Unfortunately, we would not. And as we're going to see in our text here this evening, we are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. And we see within the city of God, within God's people, the problem of oppression. Something they fled from Egypt from. Something that sadly they were inflicting upon one another. There was trouble within the city. There was abuse of power. And there was a lack of compassion. A lack of love and a lack of mercy. Toward their fellow Jewish brothers. Toward their fellow believers. A truly sad example. But... Light still emerges from this. So Nehemiah chapter 2, or sorry, Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 13, let us hear God's holy word. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. 
And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that, are, that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Many people fear greatly going to the doctor. I don't know if that includes anyone here. There's there's something that happens to many people when they get their blood pressure checked at the doctor's office. It's usually a little bit elevated. It's called white coat syndrome. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. I have myself. I had to get my blood pressure taken a few times, actually, one time many years ago. But why do we get anxious when we go to the doctors? Why do we get anxious, perhaps even when we bring our car to the mechanic and there's some rattle in the back? Well, often we we don't really want to hear bad news, do we? And reality is not something we're always excited to hear about. Today, in our culture, we live in a day when there is a complete rejection of reality, isn't there? The way things are. The way things have been created and made by God, by His hand. We live in a culture that refuses to see the evidence of God all around them. The the, the heavens declare the glory of God and it shows his handiwork. Uh, We live in a day where simple truths such as there are men and women, male and female, are being rejected. It's a rejection of the creation order, a rejection of reality. And what has been placed instead of that reality? A fantasy. A man-made fantasy. In order to not deal 
with reality. Now, what happens when the symptoms of the problems in our society become so great? Eventually, there's an outcry. And eventually, we must seek for a remedy to the problems that we are going through. And that is what happens here with God's people. When we go to the doctors, we explain our symptoms. Because usually we've reached a point in time where we cannot take whatever the problem is anymore. It has reached a crisis point and the problem needs to be dealt with. Only when we want to see the reality can we ever talk about medicine. Can we ever talk about the remedy to that problem? And only then can we deal with what is happening. This evening's topic, we're looking at the sin of oppression. Uh, The sin of oppression. And it can be defined as this. The imposition of unreasonable burdens. Either in taxes or services. The, The imposition of unreasonable burdens. Oppression is not just something that happens outside of the church to the church. It is something that can happen within the city of God itself, within God's people. Essentially, it is man mistreating his fellow man. And it is very sad to see. And how relevant is this in our day? When various freedoms that we have enjoyed for many years are more and more under threat... And I don't know if you've noticed, but much of the the world, the Western world, is looking to nations like China for how to behave in times of crisis. That should worry us all. One of the most oppressive nations on this earth. Let us not fall into the sin of oppressing our neighbor. Let us not fall into the the world's definition of what it means to love our neighbor. We need God's definition. We need God's definition. So the first point we're going to look at in our text here this evening is cruelty. Number one, cruelty. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 5 says this, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren, against their Jewish brethren. It's very much an in-house matter. A little bit different, obviously, from the last problem that they struggled with. The problem perhaps has been ignored for some time and has reached a point of crisis where there is great outcry of the people there is great suffering and there's great suffering because of more powerful and influential people who are their Jewish brothers fellow professing believers it reached this point where they finally have to say here is the reality we need to see the reality 
Now, in the next verse, we see what has happened, what was happening. Verse 2. Verse 2. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There was poverty. There was shortage of food. Now, in one sense, there was a blessing that there were so many of them there, wasn't there? There's many of them there doing the work, having returned to the land. But this blessing is also turned into a curse, as we will see. There is a desperation in the cry of the people. Verse 3 says this, There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we may buy grain because of the famine. They are in serious trouble. And perhaps there's a very human reason for this. Uh, Perhaps, as we saw in Nehemiah chapter 4, they are so focused on keeping out of that one threat, of the outside threat, that they have neglected these other duties in which they need to perform. Perhaps things were neglected along the way. And this led to their shortage. Verse 4 says this. There were also those who said. We have borrowed money. For the king's tax. On our lands and vineyards. There were heavy taxes on the lands and the vineyards. And money was borrowed in order to pay these. In order to pay these. Now verses 2 to 4. Are complaints. Against Fellow believers. Against fellow believers. First one says they're Jewish brethren. They're Jewish brethren. Those who are far more wealthy, powerful and influential. There is a lack of compassion demonstrated here. And a forgetting of the provision for the poor as laid out. In passages such as Leviticus chapter 25. In Leviticus chapter 25. Just let us remind ourselves of the provision for the poor given in this chapter. In verse 35 of this chapter. If one of your brethren becomes poor. And falls into poverty among you. Then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner. That he may live with you, take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. So there's a lack of compassion, and there was provision made in the law of God showing what compassion and love toward neighbor really looked like. In verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 5, at the beginning of that verse, it says this. Yet now, our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. Another way of saying, we're just as important as you are. Our lives, our souls are just as valuable and as important as yours. Today, we can think of it another way. The poor and the rich, yes, are equal in importance, but the educated and the uneducated the powerful and the powerless, 
those with influence and those without influence are just as important as one another. Where there is great sin and decline, where we see ruin in the city of God, there will also be great cruelty. There will also be great cruelty. A cruelty that goes with that sin, a lack of compassion, a lack of care. And real people go through real suffering because of this lack of compassion. Those in power live one way. Those under the cruel burdens live another way. Now, whatever opinions we may have had over the last two years, we, ha- we had an, an example of this recently in Westminster. The Prime Minister and others, Boris Johnson, were not keeping the rules that they set in 2020. They set burdens on everyone else they were not willing to follow. Cruel and harsh burdens. And you'll know if they're cruel and harsh because you're not willing to do it yourself. A society often gets the rulers we deserve because of the sin in our society. And it it, it becomes cruel. It becomes enslaving. And the help, the help is really a prey on the weakness of others, taking advantage of others. And we must, friends, we must be careful not to follow and be influenced by what the world will respect, what the world will think is loving. Our view of loving and what the Bible says is loving may not correspond with what the world says. Sometimes it will. Sometimes it will overlap and praise God when that happens. But there are times when it will not. We must alleviate suffering when it is within our power to do so. That is compassionate ministry. Number two now. So we've looked at, number one, we looked at cruelty. Number two, we're looking at condemnation. Condemnation. We have seen the symptoms of oppression within God's city. Suffering, cruelty, an outcry. These people without a voice, the frustration eventually boils over. It, 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 it's, it, it can't be kept in. But we see Nehemiah, godly, prayerful leader's reaction to what the people are saying. What does Nehemiah, how does he respond? Verse 6 of our text. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry. And these words, very angry. Verse 7, after serious thought, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. When there is cruelty and needless suffering inflicted, there needs to be sharp rebuke. There needs to be sharp rebuke. Now, this is not done in the heat of the moment. Again, Nehemiah shows wonderful leadership skills. He was immediately angered when he heard 
of what was happening. And not all anger is sinful. Be angry and sin not. There is a righteous anger. There is a righteous anger. But after much thought, it says in verse 7, after serious thought, or literally in the Hebrew, my heart consulted in me. My heart consulted in me. Nehemiah then rebuked. It's possible. Our anger is not righteous anger. This is why we really need to seriously think before we do something like this. And we need to consult and look at the word of God. He didn't do it in a reactionary way with a hot temper. He did it after seriously thinking. They acted cruelly. and They'd gone against the law of God in charging usury or interest loans. Now these were very, very particular types of loans. These were predatory loans condemned in God's law. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 19 and 20 it says this. You shall not charge interest to your brother. Interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner you may charge interest. But to your brother you shall not charge interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. Now I also want to point out that this is not condemning every form and every interest loan in existence. Many men of the past would have made a distinction between these predatory loans, men such as John Calvin... And other ones done for commercial and business interests. The first loan which is condemned is a loan to the brother, the fellow believer. And this was typically, if somebody was looking for a loan, uh, working on the land, it was in times of desperation. It was in times of poverty. A loan to a foreigner was not usually so. It was usually... With business in mind. A business transaction. A compensation for the loss of the lender's money. For a time. What is condemned here. In the law of God. Is not every single form of interest loan. But the one that preys upon the weak. Desperate soul. Who has no other option. Today they'd be called loan sharks. It is preying on desperate people to enslave them, to enslave them, to trap them, and to make their situation even worse than it already is. Helping them would be to perhaps loan them the money, but to bring them further into debt, well, that will make things worse. The Eighth Commandment against stealing condemns usury. We know this from our Westminster Larger Catechism. Such usury, such predatory type of usury, was sung about in Psalm 15. Remember we sung in Psalm 15, each coin puts not to usury. Why? It is sin, it is cruel, and it is against God's law. Rather than seeing it as an opportunity to help a desperate person, you see it as an opportunity to make yourself wealthy. It is therefore unloving to our neighbor. 
It says here in Ezekiel 22 verse 12. If you. If they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion. And have forgotten me. And you you notice this in the Old Testament. When they went away from God's law. What did they do? Along with, yes, forgetting God, which was horrible, but they were also incredibly cruel toward each other. And they took advantage of one another, and no doubt they excused it in their minds and did not think it was that big a deal. We must not, no matter the circumstances, no matter how difficult things may get, No matter how much money is in our pockets, we must not be cruel to our neighbors. Love of neighbor relieves burdens. It does not impose them. That's what Jesus does when we come to him. His burden is light. And so if we want to be Christ-like, we will relieve burdens, not impose them. Love of neighbor frees them to live for Christ. It does not enslave. It does not oppress. It says in Job 37:23, "As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment and abundant justice. He does not oppress." Nehemiah 5:8 says this, returning to our text, Nehemiah 5:8. "And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren." Who are sold to the nations. Relieving burdens. Setting their brethren free. Who are sold into slavery. And Nehemiah says. Now indeed. Will you even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold to us? Then they were silenced. And found nothing to say. There was no. There was nothing that could be said. There was no justification. And their silence said much number three now correction correction so now we're getting on to the remedy now we're getting on to the remedy the cruelty and the condemnation shows us the reality of what was going on the reality of the oppression that was taking place even within the city of God among God's own people and now number three there's the correction which is part of the remedy It is not enough to simply point out the problems. It's much harder, isn't it, to find solutions. The internet is filled with people able to point out problems in society and perhaps even in the church and everything else. But pointing towards solutions and how to fix these problems, much harder. Much harder. What are we to do when confronted with any mistreatment, any unloving conduct that we may be guilty of? That we may be guilty of. It says in verse 9 of our text, Then I said, this is Nehemiah, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? This correction shows not just pointing out you've done wrong 
Here's the solution. Walking in the fear of God. Turning from not fearing God and being cruel towards neighbor. To fearing God. And out of that there will be fruit. Wonderful fruit. They needed to repent. And this was the medicine. This was the medicine. This medicine cannot be applied. It will not be taken. It will not be taken seriously. Unless you see the problem. They needed to repent. And there is hope for those who fall into sin. If you've fallen into sin. And perhaps. As we go through this text here this evening. This weighs heavily upon you. Perhaps even over the last two years. Perhaps we've neglected duties and perhaps we have been cruel in areas we weren't before that there is hope for you there is medicine for you there is a remedy for you there is healing in Jesus Christ for you but only if you will repent and trust him God is that medicine that remedy For oppression. He frees from slavery to sin. And sin is the cruelest taskmaster. Sin and Satan. They oppress. They enslave. They are cruel. And they are predatory. Nehemiah. On the other hand. Points to freedom and joy in Christ. But ungodly rulers point to slavery and suffering under cruel burdens. Under cruel burdens. Christ and his gospel is the medicine we need. And why should we repent? So that the city of God would be a light unto the nations. And no longer a reproach. See friends, if if we are cruel towards each other. If, you know, and you see it in churches, the splits and and people are horrible to each other. The church becomes a reproach. This is why we've got to work side by side. This is why we have to show love toward another. That God would be glorified. And that the city of God would be a light unto all the unbelieving world. In Isaiah 1 verses 16 and 17 it says this. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And this is what application of the medicine looks like yes we turn to Christ yes we are washed clean yes we trust in him and him alone and we're saved by faith alone through Christ alone but there will be wonderful fruit that will go with that that will flow out of that newly planted tree planted by rivers of water the fruit of repentance Is ceasing to do evil. Learning to do good. Seeking justice. And standing against this form of mistreatment. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And it's not like that the fatherless. The widow. The poor. 
are worth more than everybody else, but they are the people who tend to not have a voice. They are the people who tend to be picked on. They are the people who are routinely ignored in our society. And it is not just them. In our society, we can think of other examples. To love our neighbor as Christ did. It doesn't take advantage of brothers and sisters in the faith. It applies the medicine and it looks out for their needs. We need a remedy from a fresh view of the sweetness of Christ. If we see the sweetness of Christ, will we not be sweeter to one another? Yes, we should seek to help other people outside of the church. Yes, absolutely. But the, 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 the more of the sweetness of Christ we see, the more we should also demonstrate that warm, loving care of those commonly ignored. Those commonly marginalized. And those commonly not popular to stand up for. People have many different opinions on vaccines. I am not a doctor. I am not a doctor. You probably know that about me. But let us never be part of anything that excludes another fellow image bearer of God based upon a private Medical decision. And that's not popular today. And this happened in Austria. It's happened here. And it's a dangerous precedent. Let us not join. We may not have the power. Often we won't have the power. We should pray on our knees. But we do not join in oppressing others. If anyone wants to come in. Let him come. Let him drink freely from the... From the fountain of the living water. Let him come and worship with us. When there is a sinful decline in society friends. There will be cruelty. But we need the remedy. And that is the sweetness of Christ. Our final point now. Also looking at the remedy. Is covenant. Covenant. So we've looked at cruelty number one. Which is basically the symptoms of the suffering. Number two, condemnation, rebuking of rebelliousness. Three, correction, pointing to the prescription of what is needed, the correction, the correction of the course needed. And finally, four here, covenant, promise to persevere. Not just saying sorry once, but continuing on and binding yourself in this promise to not return back. There's a swearing here to follow this course of action. In verses 12 and 13 of our text, Nehemiah 5. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, Oh, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property 
who does not perform this promise, even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord and the people did according to this promise. Here is a promise to persevere. There is a changing of action. You see the repentance here in verse 12. We will restore it. And will require nothing of them. We will do as you say. So they go from oppressing to compassion. That's repentance. That's what repentance looks like. A turning away from sin to the Savior. And they swear an oath. Publicly. Publicly. Before all. Binding themselves to this promise. Publicly. Oath is another real word for covenant. Covenant. No doubt it's a word we hear a lot as covenanters. And covenants or oaths come with blessings or cursings. Blessings for those who follow in these covenants. And consequences. Great, grave consequences for those who break these covenants. In verse 13 it talks about the, co- it talks about the consequences. Nehemiah said, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. There will be the loss of the inheritance. And that is far more than I'm just going to lose my land. That is saying effectively, you are not part of God's inheritance. You are not part of God's people. Outwardly, this is saying this. And why swear oaths publicly? Why promise? We've repented. What's the need of an oath, you might think, you might ask. Why do people swear oaths publicly to become elders? When they're installed and ordained as elders, deacons, ministers of the gospel. There are oaths, promises made at baptisms. Lord willing, we'll see that in a few weeks' time. When, when people bind themselves publicly to pray for that person. Accountability. Accountability. So that our own words, if we do break this covenant, if we do break this, this promise, will condemn us. Another way to say it, it's going to be much harder to back out now that you've promised Publicly. And so it should be. We live in an age, I was listening to a program there yesterday when they were talking about no fault divorce. Marriage becomes almost meaningless if people can just walk out of it without any consequences. Especially for the person who is at fault. There must be difficulty to leave marriages in a sinful way. I say a sinful way. Oaths, in order to mean something, there must be blessings for keeping and consequences for breaking. And we we know this from telling our children, don't we? Don't touch the top of the stove. I tell my children a number of times, we have an electric hob, 
And it's very hard to tell if it's hot or not. Well, you see if it's the red light pops up. And I keep telling them, just promise me you're not going to touch the top of that. Okay, you promised. Okay, you understand now. They're binding themselves, hopefully that they won't get burned in the future. You don't want them to learn by painful experience. What oaths have you taken in your life? Don't be tempted to break them. And don't be, don't be tempted to think lightly of them either. Marriage, offices, deacons or elders. These oaths are before God. Remember that. They're not just before other people. They're before God. And perhaps you need to reapply the medicine. The medicine of Christ and his gospel. Repenting and trusting in him. There's forgiveness, friends. There's forgiveness in him. Finally. We'll leave at this point. With this thought. There is a potential for each and every one of us. No matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter our background, no matter who we are, to fall into this sin and to oppress others. I am certainly guilty of this sin. When we mistreat, when we ignore, and when we neglect, when we join in, the unpopular, the unseen, the unworthy to society. Yes, they're suffering in Ukraine and hopefully, by God's grace, we can help them. Hopefully. But there are many who are suffering here too and suffering in different ways. Suffering in ways I think many people don't even want to let people know about. Many feel guilty for just even sharing it out loud. We need each other. God has made us a body. He hasn't made us each individual islands. He has made us a body to be part, to function together. He is the head. We are part of that body. We need each other. When one suffers, especially in the church, and falls down, we need to help them where possible, where where it is within our power to do so, to show the love of God. We need to show the love of Christ. Not what the world thinks of as loving. What the world thinks of as loving is so often abusive. It is so often abusive. But we don't love like Christ, do we? None of us do. We all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Each and every one of us here. We need him. We need him. To wash us clean from our sin. And we need him. To rescue us. From the oppression of our own sin. And our own faults. And our own failings. Amen.